0: Welcome to Encouraging Truths for Today. We're glad to bring you this message from First Baptist Church in Crockett, Texas. Now please join us as we learn to grow deeper in our relationship with God and each other. So let's look at Psalm 20 today. And let's focus on trusting God in troublesome days. Psalm 20, beginning in verse 1. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob defend you. May He send you help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. May he remember all your offerings and accept your burnt sacrifice. May he grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all of your purpose and counsel. We will rejoice in your salvation, and in the name of our God, we will set up our banners May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stand upright. Save, Lord, may the King answer us when we call. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would grant me wisdom and insight even as I preach Father I pray your Holy Spirit would move in each of our hearts and lives to deepen our walk with you to broaden our view of you and to carry the, the burdens that are on your heart And Father, ultimately, I pray that Christ would be exalted through the preaching of your word today. And so I pray that you would speak through me because unless you speak through me, I have nothing at all to say. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I sense that these verses can be very helpful to us in troublesome times uh, where uh, the day seems cloudy or the, the weight seems heavy or the, the end seems uncertain. So let's look today at three things that we should do or not do. One of them is something we should not do in troublesome First of all, in troublesome days, turn your desires Godward. Turn your desires Godward. That's something that I've spent the past year meditating upon and really thinking through. Uh, particularly in studying the preaching of Charles Spurgeon, he many times in his sermons would express these Godward desires and they would begin with the word may. May may god give you insight as i'm sharing this he would say to his congregation or may god deliver us from this or that it's it's not really a prayer in a sense it's a it is a prayer from the heart not verbally directed straight to god but expressed toward him in those desires perhaps when you've sent a text letting someone know you were praying for them or written a card to let them know how you were praying for them Uh, you may have done as I have, where I say I'm praying this for you, and may God do this for you as well. It's a desire of the heart focused on what God can and will do in a person's life. It focuses a Godward desire on God's designs in people's lives, and that's how this psalm begins with that word may. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. Uh, that's the sense of what David was hearing from the people. May, may God hear you the, and answer you in the day of your trouble. What, what these Godward desires express to one another do is they strengthen the prayer that someone's praying that may feel weak or uh, may need the encouragement. So where else could we express these desires rather than to God? Well, haven't you found yourself expressing your desires to yourself or horizontally to others saying, what I want is this or what I desire is this or I would love to see this happen or all of that kind of thing. But, but when you express your desires Godward, they, they take on a, a purity and a power about them. There's something very pleasant in the ears of God as you turn your desires to him and to his kingdom. And so these verses have guided me in my prayers for fellow believers in Afghanistan in recent days. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob defend you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. May he remember all your offerings and accept all your burnt sacrifices. May he grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all your purpose. Because I've been at a loss praying for someone in a situation that I've never been in. But those words have somehow given me direction and not just Godward desires, but I've turned those into prayers that have been very helpful to me. But just think in your troublesome times, those phrases that are action words, that the desire is that in the day of trouble that God would answer, that God would defend, that He would send, strengthen, remember and accept, and grant, and fulfill. Do you, do you just see the strength of all of that? So, the first two verses are, are just loaded with those moving, powerful verbs that line up with the will of God. When you're living in His will, and, and you're praying those types of things, God, answer me, God, fulfill, God, strengthen, God, send help. What a joy it is to pray in keeping with the Word of God. I found when you use God's vocabulary in prayer, there is great power there. Then in verses 3 and 4, the word may continues. May he remember all your offerings and accept all your burnt sacrifices. Those were acts of worship. When in times of peace they were able to come and and worship and and serve the lord and there they offered burnt offerings and sacrifices it was somewhat of a prayer to god that expressed things that even the vocabulary vocabulary of their heart could not express and may he he remember those desires even as you've expressed them in those things And then may He grant you according to your heart's desire. Have you found how wicked and deceitful your heart can be? Have you found yourself trying to uh, perhaps baptize your impure motives to make them look better? Well, the psalmist later in Psalm 37 talks about the, this whole issue of the desires of the heart. In Psalm 37, verse 3, it begins with that word trust that we have sung repeatedly today. Trust in the lord and do good it says in psalm 37 3 trust in the lord and do good dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness there are times in our lives when unfaithfulness and betrayal happen the people in afghanistan are, are are expressions of that but in those times Trust in the Lord, do good, dwell in the land, feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, the people praying for David in Psalm 20 had a strong assurance David was not perfect. David failed, but when they prayed for King David, they knew they were praying for a man after God's own heart. And so they could dare to say, May May He give you the desires of your heart. Why? Because He he in a sense lived there and Psalm 37 4. He delighted himself in the Lord, and God would give him the desires of his heart because they were God born desires that were Godward desires expressed to him. What a beautiful picture that is. When people pray for you and pray for me, do they have that kind of assurance about us that they're praying for someone with a heart set on doing what God wants us to do. But notice the promise that they make there also. Verse 5. We will rejoice in your salvation, referring to David's deliverance in the battle, salvation with a little s, And in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. See, in the Bible, you find that word banner quite a bit around those places where there's been a battle or where they've experienced a victory. They talk about his banner over me is love. It was like a a flag or a streamer on a pole or a standard. And throughout history, they have served three basic purposes according to the Dictionary of Biblical Imagery. To identify a group, to where they would gather around that standard or that banner. Secondly, they've been used to claim possession of a space or territory And thirdly, to lend festivity to a celebration. But think about that. To claim possession of a space or territory. In those scenes from Afghanistan, have you seen any banners flying? We have, haven't we? Uh, In the hands of the Taliban. Flying those banners as if they have the victory. We know God gets the ultimate victory. Uh, We know they... Have a godless view of life, they don't value life they, they terrorize people and and Satan is using them and the lives of believers even now to terrorize and to try to destroy them they, they have set up their banners but but here the prayer is: when you have delivered, when you have given the desires of their heart. We will raise the banners in your name. We will give you all the glory and all the praise. Isn't that a beautiful picture? But how many times did we forget to, to raise our banner in his name when he works in our lives? And so the first thing we need to be doing in our lives during troublesome days is turning our desires Godward. But then, secondly, drawing from the psalm in troublesome days, hold tightly to what you know to be true about the Lord. Hold tightly to what you know about the Lord. Not what you want him to be, not what others have morphed him to be, but what you really know to be true. About the Lord from the Word of God. Notice how verse 6 begins. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed, or the one he has put in position and power with authority. I know he saves them. Does that always mean physical safety and security? Not always but ultimate salvation and deliverance. Anointed uh, could refer to a person who has been set apart by God and conferred with authority upon them by God. That's the picture of the king. Now, I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. There are multiple verses that refer to God's right hand. What in reality does his right hand refer to? We know he is a spirit. We know he doesn't have hands and feet. He, He doesn't have a physical mouth or a physical voice. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. But in the Bible, you find what's called anthropomorphisms. Don't ask me to spell that, but anthropomorphisms, which is taking an attribute of God and morphing it into something human, anthropomorphisms, morphing it into something human so we can picture it and understand it. So when it talks about the finger of God, it gives us a sense of of God moving that way, the voice of God speaking through the Word of God, the the mouth of God, the ears of God hearing our prayers. It's us as finite human beings trying to picture an infinite God Uh, with whom we have come to know through Christ and become acquainted with, how do do we identify these things about him? Well, the, the Lord blessed them with these images. And so here it refers to his right hand. What that is referring to is God's person and his actions, full of righteousness and his effective might with his right hand. He brought them out with a strong right hand. It's not that God values right handed people over left handed people. It's not to say that God is right handed and anyone left handed is, is far from him. I need to clarify that for my left handed wife who says God is left-handed because jesus sitting on his right hand you know there's so much silliness we could go to and i shouldn't have gone to but it's a sense of his power always effective always mighty always super abundantly sufficient for whatever he chooses to do and so when he moves with his powerful hand They are raising banners to celebrate that and to say he has taken captive of this. He has brought victory here. He has delivered here, and we celebrate him not just because of that, but because of his greatness, he has chosen to be involved in our affairs and in our circumstances and brought us through and delivered us. So, in troubled days, troublesome days, we should... Tightly grip what we know about the Lord. Because haven't you found people misinterpreting who God is in these circumstances? Someone shared a prayer with me. It was a beautiful prayer by Ann Graham Lotz. It was uh, not just beautiful in that it was sweet and soft, but it was all about scriptural perspective on what was going on in Afghanistan. And then she prayed in there that God would bring his judgment on the evil, whether it abides in Afghanistan or in Washington, D.C. Well, there were people claiming to be Christians that were offended by that. I found myself wondering, uh, would they have been fine if she had left us out of the equation in that prayer? What nation is not deserving of God's judgment? What leaders should not come under the judgment of God for death and destruction? What what nation is spared from God's judgment? We have this false sense of security that somehow Israel's been pushed aside, and we as the United States are now the big focus of God's dwelling and his power only if we're pleasing him and he is our god as as our nation serves him but we are not a special case with god are we there is no hedge about us except for that which is godly and pure so in a world that is quick to redefine god And to say, well, my God doesn't do that. My God would never act that way. When the Bible talks about God bringing judgment even upon Israel and Judah, why in the world would he not bring judgment upon us? So it's important that we hold on to the Scripture and what we know to be true about God. Is God going to bring good out of what's happening in Afghanistan? I believe that's true. Throughout church history, where there is persecution and martyrdom, the church is thriving. You know what's happening right now? People are turning to Christ in Afghanistan. Do I know that because I've seen it on TV? Oh, no, that's not going to be on TV. But I know that is happening because that is the way of God, turning people to him even in troublesome days. And so we have this assurance of his right hand there is nothing beyond his reach nothing beyond his power nothing beyond his knowledge that occurs in his world his right hand is able to stretch forth and do mighty things in the midst of a mighty mess in isaiah chapter 41 verse 10 there's a verse that has brought me great comfort on many occasions it says this in Isaiah 41:10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You see, that right hand can move with great power and judgment. It can move with great power upon a person's life. And it can bring great comfort and strength to those who are weak. But only to those who are humble enough to admit their need. Only those who know they desperately need Him. That's why we can live life without fear. Because He is with us. He strengthens us. He helps us. He upholds us with His righteousness. Right hand, what a beautiful picture that is. That too is my prayer for believers in Afghanistan. So in troublesome days we need to turn our desires Godward. In troublesome days we need to hold tightly to what we know to be true about God. And then thirdly, in troublesome days, don't put false hope in second. Causes. Don't put false hope in second causes. It says there in Psalm 20, verse 7 Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember or trust in the name of the Lord our god now why does it say chariots and horses those are military images in the scripture he who was armed with many chariots horse-drawn chariots soldiers riding on horses had the greatest power They measured their military strength and their offensive endurance based upon the number of horses and chariots that they possessed. That was a source of confidence and assurance in the life of a kingdom if their king had military might that was characterized by all these horses and chariots. But God never uses... The same means that the world does, it seems. As a matter of fact, do you remember what happened to all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots in the Red Sea? Do you remember that scene? There's a song written about it right after that. The horse and rider have drowned in the sea. And God did it. You remember the most powerful man on the globe is pursuing the people of God and and Moses leading the people holds up a staff and as he does, the, the waters part because God is empowering that and they cross through. And Just think how close that army had to be behind them to get all of those horses and chariots into that corridor that was about to drown all of them. And what happened? The, the wheels began to stick in the mud, the wheels began to come off, everything began to happen, and God drowned one of them. You see, God doesn't need horses and chariots. God doesn't need airplanes and bombs. God doesn't need tanks and rifles. God doesn't wear a helmet into battle. He is the God of the universe. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. So what do I mean by second causes? Well, that was a a phrase used a lot in Puritan literature back in the 1700s and into the 1800s. Here's what it refers to. God is the first cause. How was I created? Well, my mom and dad were second causes, but God was the first cause. How do trees grow from a seed? Well, we water it, we take care of it, but we're the second cause. God is the first cause. I remember taking an agronomy class for an easy grade in college, which ended up not being so easy, but I learned a lot about God. The professor one day said, when you put a seed in the ground, does it say this side up on it? The answer is no. And he said, well, then how can you randomly put a seed in the ground and the, the stalk knows to come up and the roots know to go down? He said, God designed it that way. And we learn so much about God just through the things that grow. But God is the first cause. Think about when you've shared your faith with someone and they've come to know Christ, uh, and you may have said, I led them to Christ. That's true in a sense. But you know what happened? The Father drew them to Himself. He is the first cause. It's very common for us to try to figure out who the second cause was. Well, what happened? Well, God provided this. Well, I know, but, but who did it? No, not who did it. The big who did it. God did it. He's the first cause. Forget about the second cause. Oh, man, you recovered? What's your doctor's name? I want to go to that doctor. Well, it's Dr. Jesus. He is the first cause. Without his giving wisdom and skill and knowledge and creating the body to be able to be healed, all of the things that would go into that, not that doctors aren't important, not that mechanics aren't important, not that finances aren't, whatever it is, but just see God as the first cause cause. Who provides for your family? Well, I work for this company. No, no, no. Who provides for your family? First cause, God provides through a second cause to meet the needs in my family. Do you see the picture there? And so what he was saying here is some trust in second causes, but we will remember the name of the first cause, the name of the Lord, our God. So, how did Jericho fall? Well, people trying to figure out the second cause say that there was such an intense vibration from the trumpets that were blown, it began to shake loose some of the mortar, and the walls began to fall, and they fell on people and killed them, etc., etc., etc. You know what's easier to believe? First cause, God brought them down. That's what. The psalmist here is saying, some trust in these second causes. I thank God for second causes. I thank God for putting second causes in our lives because he uses people and he uses things in our lives, and that's wonderful. But we never need to begin to worship the things above the God who has placed that in our lives and at our disposal. And so that's the heart of Psalm 20, verse 7. God is the first cause. It's not because of military prowess. It's not because of military machinery. We will put our trust in the name of the Lord, our God. You know what happens when you give credit or glory to a second cause rather than to God as the first cause? Number one, he may take away your provision. Number two, you are setting them up as an idol. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says God shares his glory with no one. We should never do that. But back to the imagery of chariots and horses. If you turn to the next uh, book there, to Isaiah chapter 31, Isaiah 31, you find a picture of how God responds to chariots and horses. Isaiah 31, verse 1. Woe, W-O-E, Whoa. Anytime you see that word W-O-E, you need to woe need to stop and look at it. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses who trust in chariots, because they are many, and in horsemen, because they are very strong, but do not look to the Holy One of Israel, nor seek the Lord. Now, does that mean that God couldn't use certain things he chooses not to, at times, to reveal the power and bare strength of his character. But there he warns, "Don't look to Egypt. Look to heaven." You might say, "Well, uh, we would never do that. You know what Baptists are notorious for? Programitis. Isn't there a program for this? Programs are not bad, but programs are not God. And so through the years, uh, we've looked to Nashville or here or there for the answer, when in reality, those are second causes He might lead us to, but the ultimate focus should be on the first cause, and that's God. When you look to Him, He does amazing things around you and through you and through others, but you've got to be looking at the first cause. Cause. it says there we will remember the name of the lord our god now in deuteronomy 17 the king of god's people was warned against having a lot of chariots and horses that he trusted in and so let's think about this for a moment Here's the choice. Chariots and horses, the name of the Lord. Human thinking would be, yeah, i take chariots and horses. That would be the natural carnal mind. We've got to have the chariots and horses. Yes, we want God, but, but the biblical mind would say, okay, no chariots and horses, God. The name of the Lord. Was this something that was new in David's life? I mean, here as the psalmist, he's writing uh, beautifully about how to respond to chariots and horses and overwhelming odds. Is this the first time he invokes the name of the Lord? No. We find that in first samuel chapter 17 he did this at an early age in first samuel 17 45 david has gone down to deliver food to his brothers who are in battle against the philistines and there is a giant named goliath that is making fun not only of israel but of their god everybody else is shaking and David, this young man, is ready to go punch his lights out. He's ready to go take care of this. And they're saying, you can't do that. Even the king says, uh, you, you can't do that. Here, wear my armor, second cause. Here, do what I would do. Take my sword and my armor and, and go to battle. And, and David said, I haven't tried this. It doesn't fit. It's not right. I will take a slingshot and five smooth stones. Okay, if you're thinking carnally and humanly, armor and sword, five rocks, your mind drifts here, but if you're going in the name of the Lord, five smooth stones are really too many. You would look at it in the human sense and say, Well, that's not enough. Well, no. He's got to have extra rocks. So he goes out to face Goliath, and Goliath begins to laugh. And the valley is filled with his laughter, and others perhaps joined in laughing with him. And he says, Have you sent out a dog to fight me? And he's, he's just laughing it up. Then David says to Goliath in 1 Samuel 17, 45, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel. This day... The Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you, and I will take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel." Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into my hands. Isn't that a great picture? A young man that learned that in an early age. He's standing down a giant that everyone else is intimidated by and he is not whimpering and whining. He's, he's shouting him down He's saying, you come to me with sword, javelin, spear, all of your military weapons, but I come to you in the name of the Lord God. He's going to deliver you into my hand. I'm going to cut that big head of yours off, and then we're going to feed the rest of your soldiers their carcasses to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field, and everybody's going to know that there is a God in Israel, a God who wins his battles. And I don't know if you've read to the end of the story, but God wins the battle. You know what people wrote? They wrote a song about David. Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. But you know what? David never bought the record. He never downloaded it from iTunes. He he stayed focused in his faith on God because he knew he didn't do that. He knew God did that. Because God doesn't fight with spears and javelins and swords. God fights with his very power of his presence. And he brings the victory with one fling of the sling. A rock is embedded in Goliath's forehead. And David does decapitate him. So what happened there? There was a group of older people that were comparing second causes. They were comparing the size of David with the size of Goliath, and David didn't stand a chance. There was a young man who did something no one else thought to do. He was comparing Goliath and his size to the size of God, and Goliath didn't stand a chance. It's all about how you look at life. Not just how you look at life, but how you look at God. And so I ask you today are you looking at God through your circumstances, or are you looking at your circumstances through the lens of who God is? We would like to thank you for joining us for this message from First Baptist Church in Crockett, Texas. First Baptist desires to be a house of prayer with a heart for people, making a difference by making disciples from our neighborhood to the nations. If you would like more information about this ministry, please visit www.firstcrockett.org. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you.